grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Uh, brothers and sisters in Christ, just to kind of make sure we're all caught up to where we are in Revelation for this year, we have been preaching from the beginning all the way through. Yeah, skipping a, a bit here and there, but trying to cover that on Wednesday nights as well. But it's all lined up really nicely um, to actually hit the resurrection texts on Easter. So, I mean, obviously, of course, that's the perfect time to be preaching resurrection from Revelation on Easter morning. So I'm really excited about that. Today we have the last of the, of the sevenfold visions. So... Recalling there are three sevenfold visions throughout Revelation, and they all cover the same time frame. This is where some evangelicals get this wrong. Some, some people reading scriptures in general get this wrong as though it's this timeline of first, those, those first seven things will happen, then the second seven things. They're just looking at the same time frame from different angles, if you will. The, the way I keep describing it, and people have been here every week are going to get annoyed because we keep describing it this way, is if you looked at uh, the history of World War II, you might spend you know, just one lens looking at the, the ground war in Europe, right? And then you might switch and do just like the Pacific theater, right? All that, just that. Um, or maybe you look at just the, the sub, you know, the, the underwater, whatever it is. You might just have three different lenses. It doesn't mean that those other things didn't happen or they're happening in, in, in sequence. You're just looking at it through a different lens. So today is the last of the sevenfold visions, and it's the last one of the sevenfold visions, meaning the last sevenfold vision is uh, an an the angels are coming out, seven angels come out with a bowl of the wrath of God, and they pour it out. And today is the final one of those. From here on out, we're going to be looking at the rest of Revelation and those visions and what those pertain to, but it won't be these, these views of what is happening here on earth. This last one is unique in, in a couple of regards, which I'm not going to spoil the sermon. We'll get to that in just a minute, of course. So this is Revelation chapter 16, and we're going to start at verse 17. This is the seventh bowl of the wrath of God. The seventh angel poured out his bowl into the air, and a loud voice came out of the temple from the throne, saying, It is done. And there were flashes of lightning, rumblings, peals of thunder, and a great earthquake such as there had never been since man was on the earth. So great was that earthquake. The great city was split into three parts, and the cities of the nations fell. And God remembered Babylon the great to make her drain the cup of the wine of fury of his wrath. And every island fled away. No mountains were to be found. And great hailstones, about 100 pounds each, fell from heaven on people. And they, were cur and they cursed God for the plague of the hail because the plague was so severe. This is the word of the Lord. Uh, brothers and sisters in Christ, it's also a helpful reminder to, to think of this in terms somewhere between literal and symbolic. It's a word that, that I often use to say it's literalistic, meaning things are literally going to happen, but are we supposed to be looking for 100-pound hailstones to signify now is the end? 
well, there's, there's some metaphor involved in, in the book of Revelation. So really, really bad things absolutely are literally going to be happening at the very end on that last day, but also a sense metaphorically, just because there's a great earthquake, which there was one recently in Syria, right? In, in the land of, of Revelation, the Revelation letters went out to places that were close to Syria. So honestly, we can be constantly looking and seeing what exactly John wants us to do, the Holy Spirit wants us to do, is, is to watch and say, well, this could be any time. This could be any moment in time. Jesus could come back any time, right? Because we've had these terrible things happen. We've had all sorts of things going on that we would consider the, the worst that they have ever been or the worst they could possibly ever be and be thinking in terms of, is this the time that Jesus is coming back? We should always be thinking, yeah, it could be now. That's, that's part of the point and purpose of Revelation is, is to say these things are always going to be happening. But then Revelation fills in the gaps a little bit to give us some more information as to what's going on, whether it's behind the scenes with God and his activity or just behind the scenes and the purpose of all of these things in general. And so where I want to start the message today is by recalling in, in most of your minds, some of you are not going to be old enough to remember this, and that's a terrible thing that I'm saying that, right? Some of you aren't going to remember the smoking section in restaurants <laughs> or on an airplane. Do you remember how ridiculous that is? When you look back on it, you think, okay, so the smoke isn't going to get me, I'm in the non-smoking, the smoking section is, is right there, so the smoke will stay over there, it won't come over here, right? That's, that's brilliant logic. Or on a plane, you're in a tube, literally just a tube of filthy, stinky, smelly air, right? And somebody's smoking a cigarette, and you're like, it'll never get back here to me, they're in the smoking section up there. It's ridiculous, that, that's not how air works, that's just, we all know that. It was such a ridiculous idea that we could have a smoking and non-smoking section in an airplane. We'll check out, um, we're actually going to go to the scripture verse first before I get to the title of the point. The scripture verse is right from verse 17. The seventh angel poured out his bowl into the air, and a loud voice came out of the temple from the throne saying, it is done. This is the thing about air, <laughs> When the wrath of God is poured out on the air, it's different from where it's poured out on the ground because there's a boundary there. You know, it's, this is how it's going to affect the earth. Then there's the sea. This is how it's going to affect the sea. But there's a boundary, right? If, if you're not in the sea or if you're not on that part of the earth, but when the wrath of God is poured out in the air, it's like the smoking section of a restaurant. It may be thicker in some places, but it's going to affect everybody, that's the point of this bowl of wrath is to draw our attention that the, the wrath of God has its effect everywhere. First point in the sermon is just the end, right? We're talking about end times, and the question that, that I think are on people's mind a lot, the question is simply, 
when are the end times going to start? And the answer is, the end times started when Jesus ascended into heaven. We've been in the end times for a long time now. And all of these things have always been happening. And this is, this is a tough thing for Christians, I think, to swallow, maybe some more than others. But the reality is that sin absolutely infects everyone and everything. I would love to tell you that, that what you need to do is believe more. Go to church more often. Um, do, do your devotions. Pray. Read the Bibles. Go to, go to church a couple of times a week, and eventually you'll escape the consequences of sin. It, it just it doesn't work that way. I mean, ultimately, I, I would have to be telling you, if you do this enough, you won't die. You'll just live to be 10 million years old because, well, the wages of sin is death. Death is a consequence of sin. If, if you were perfect without any sin, even from birth, somehow, you know, hypothetically, that were the case, you could live forever. Adam and Eve were supposed to live forever. But just setting, setting that crazy hypothetical aside, let's say you, you try and live the most pure and holy and sanctified life. You are still going to be impacted by sin. Even when, let me, let me show you how bad it is. Even when, even when you're doing something good, it is marked by sin. So you're going to go and, and help somebody who is in need. And you think, how can that be sinful? Well, maybe it isn't, or, or maybe it is. Maybe, maybe you get a sense of pride that you have done this. You feel a little bit better about yourself because you have the resources to help somebody. So you have a little bit of, just a little bit of sinful pride. I'm not saying you shouldn't still go and do those things. Just, just recognize you may have to deal with some sin of your own even when you're doing good. But let's say you're perfect in, in your altruism. You are perfect in your charity. You have no sense of, of sin in your heart whatsoever. You are simply acting out of, of benevolence, inspired by Christ Jesus himself, moved by the Holy Spirit, accompanied by angels, right? It's absolutely perfect that you are helping this person in need. Why is that person in need? Sin. Sin. I mean, that's why doing good things exists, <laughs> is because it's a sinful, broken world. Maybe that person made sinful choices and, and found themselves in this situation. We're not judging that. I'm just saying, but that, that's why they need help, is because of sin. Maybe they've done nothing. Maybe, maybe the deck was just stacked against them. They were born into a, a lower-income situation, um, didn't have access to good education, all of these different things. Completely not that person's fault, but still sinful. Why are there places like that? Why, why are there places that, that don't have the resources for quality education? Why does it exist that, that there's broken families and, and being born with the deck stacked against Why does that even exist? Maybe, maybe it's racism. Why does that exist? 
It's sin. It's always sin. This is the air in which God has poured his wrath. That, that is what Revelation is teaching us. Is man, You cannot get away from this thing. You will not get away from this thing called sin. It is the burden of Christians everywhere that we know it is sin, <laughs> And we know that there is a resolution to sin in Christ, but we still got to suffer it, each and every one of us. And sometimes that means digging through ourselves and in our own history. Maybe our trauma when we were younger has given us this proclivity for a sin, or, or maybe it's a genetic thing, or it, it really doesn't matter. makes no difference how we come by it just to know that we all come by it naturally. It's all just into us now. It is, it is in our DNA. Scripture says we are born children of wrath. We are born enemies of God by virtue of being born. That's it. Unless you can make a claim like Jesus makes, which is you weren't born in the natural way, but rather uh, conceived by the Holy Spirit in the womb of a woman. Unless you're making that claim, um, and if you are, <laughs> you and I need to have a conversation because you ain't Jesus. <laughs> pretty, pretty confident in that declaration. I know all of you. None of you are Jesus. <laughs> so, I mean, that, that is the what we all have to wrestle with. That is the burden of, of Christianity. I would love to tell you that you can escape it, but you can't. But here's the thing. Those words, the end, it is done. Um, we can put the scripture up one more time if we want to. It's uh, back there in 17. Just the end. From the throne, the voice saying, it is done. This should be sounding in your ears like a different time. Something very similar was proclaimed. On the cross, Jesus' final words, it is done. Finished is how we usually translate it. Those words are awfully close, both in the Greek and the English. It is done. This is incredibly important for all of us to get our heads around. When it comes to knowing God, if you want to know God, you have to know something about him that, that's very specific and very important. God has boundaries. God has a limit. Not that God is limited, but when it comes to his wrath, he will, he will go so far, but not further than that. And this is something that's, that's important for us to understand, even as people, this is important for us to teach our children that we have certain boundaries. And, and this is a boundary, that, and we mean it, that our, our kids can trust if they cross this boundary, then the thing that my mom or dad said is true will be true. <laughs> right? Boy, we are struggling with this in, in our house right now. I'm not going to name the specific kid, but they know who they are. Right? They're watching from home right now. They know who they are. <laughs> you come up to that boundary, and, and you break that boundary. Well, what dad and mom said would be true is true. What does this tell us about mom and dad? 
that they, they mean it. It's true. Therefore, when they say, I love you, they can be trusted there too. They can be trusted to, to really mean it because when I cross this boundary and the thing that they said would happen happens, then this other boundary, which is you cannot cross the boundary of my love for you, they, they believe that. God has set up a boundary and he says, this is enough. This is absolutely enough. Now, if we go back through all of those visions, which we're not going to do today because we spent several sermons on it, right? It would take too long. If we go back, we see God over and over again making a limitation and saying, thus far and no further. He's not doing what he did in the time of Noah where he wiped out the entire earth. He's not destroying everything, but rather he is exercising his judgment on a creation that has failed and he's holding to the boundary. So because he is doing these things, we can trust him when he says something else. So I'm not trying to say all of these terrible things that happen, that these plagues, that these, these uh, painful things that happen to Christians, I'm not saying that these are good. These are, are bad things that we suffer. But because we suffer them, then we can look and say, what else does God say? He, he held his word. He said this thing and it happened. He said that there would be consequences to sin. We're all feeling it. What else? It is finished. Those words are just as true. So the evidence of a fallen sinful world that suffers the consequences of sin that we see even when we try and do good, that is evidence that Jesus' words on the cross are just as true. When he says it is finished, what he is speaking of is the wrath of God. But it's the wrath of God in totality without the boundaries that we have been seeing all throughout these other visions. It is the total rejection that comes from dying with the sin of the world upon you. See, Jesus, Jesus was, was the one who crossed that boundary of death, having become sin for us, was condemned by the Father. And when he said, it is finished, what he is saying is, there's none left for you. There, there is no eternal wrath and, and damnation. There, there is no eternal death. There is no room in hell for each and every one of you. Because it's finished. It was all put on him. It's done. See how important it is to know that God has that boundary? We all know it's important to teach our kids boundaries. God teaches us this, this certain boundary that no matter how marred with sin your life is, no matter how much of a mess you've made of your life or, or someone else has made of your life, it doesn't make a difference because eternal death, that was, that was suffered, that consequence was suffered by Christ on the cross when we believe in him, his righteousness is imputed to us, and so we have the righteousness of Christ, and he has our sin, and it is finished. 
And it's, it's important to know that, that this world, this earth, God has set a, a limitation to the destruction and death and, and the consequences of sin that he's going to allow the people of this world to suffer. And, and man, does it, it seem crazy when we see the suffering of people, we go, geez, that isn't over the boundary yet? <laughs> Lord God, that's, that's a bit much, <laughs> right? Refugees, homelessness, murder, all of those things. We look at that and we say, this isn't too far. What that ought to do is is cause us to grieve our sin just a little bit more. And I want you to, to bear with me on what's not the easiest transition to verse 1621. We're going to do this before our sermon point two. <laughs> 16 verse 21 Great hailstones, about 100 pounds each, fell from heaven on people, and they cursed God for the plague of the hail because the plague was so severe. The sermon point is they won't repent. They won't. They won't believe. And I think, I think there is a lesson for us to, to learn in the midst of this. But again, I want to be careful so that it doesn't sound like I'm saying the bad thing that happens to people is actually good. The bad thing is the bad thing. But what can we see and learn in this? There is a sense that we all have, if people knew about the wrath of God, if people knew that God existed, that would be enough for them to believe. The Bible says, nope. (laughs) It's not how it's going to work. No, the, the, the fear of God, the scripture says, is the beginning of wisdom or the beginning of knowledge, but it isn't faith, and it doesn't save. And yet, for some reason, so many Christians feel as though the best evangelical model is to go and tell people how scary God is and how if you don't believe in him, you're in a lot of trouble. You're going to go to hell. Bad things are going to happen to you. Just read Revelation. Look at all these bad things. We know that if we believe enough, they won't happen to us. That is all heresy. It is all false. It's literally not what the Bible says. What the Bible says is the fear of death and destruction and pain and suffering doesn't cause people to believe. You know what does? The gospel The gospel of Christ Jesus saves. What is the gospel? The gospel is is the news of rescue. It is to say, you know how bad this is? How terrible this is? If you curse God, it's going to just keep happening. (laughs) Right? Cursing God doesn't stop the bad thing from happening. Hating God doesn't stop the bad thing from happening. But if I trust and believe that he loves me so much that he would provide a way out of that. Not in this life, but in eternity. There's a God a lot of people will get behind. That's That's a God a lot of people who don't know God can believe in, to say there is a God and he loves you so much and he sees all of this pain and suffering, the consequences of sin, whether it's your fault or not your fault. God knows how terrible that is, so here's a way out of it. And, and it may not be in this lifetime. You may suffer these consequences your entire physical life on earth, but guess what? You're out. 
at the resurrection. There's, there's a life after this life. There is an afterlife, <laughs> life after death. And that perfection, that, that is what we hold to. So give up this, this idea that we can scare people into believing or that we can judge people into living a better life. It's got nothing to do with the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's got nothing to do with the gospel of Jesus Christ. You don't have to clean yourself up to believe in Jesus. You don't have to get your life together to believe in Jesus. It's like saying you have to take a bath before you take a shower. (laughs) It it makes zero sense. No, this this is the truth, is is just to know as much as I have made a mess of my life, as, as much as I'm suffering the consequences of sin, things I did, things I didn't do, whatever it is, as much as I'm suffering all of this, God loves me. And his way out is to trust in the way in which, excuse me, he loves me. That he sent his son, that we might trust and believe in him. Which is why we get to fear not. (laughs) Don't worry. Don't worry when the painful, bad, horrible things happen around you in your community, across the globe, the earthquakes in Syria, uh, in your backyard, in your home, excuse me, wherever it may be, fear not. Why not? Well, these these are evidences that God's boundaries have not quite yet been crossed. But it means that his love is just as great as that suffering is terrible. His his love is just as profound, just as deep, because there is a message for each and every person, no matter how dire their circumstances, no matter how broken they are, of salvation out. And you won't miss it. (laughs) There's nothing to worry about. You'll know when Jesus comes back. We'll all know. There'll be no wondering, like, see that guy that I heard about in Venezuela? Or that guy that I heard about in Africa? Did Jesus come back and we missed it? No. (laughs) No, that which is not seen will become very visible. I'm going to put just a quick little plug in here for the the Omega Hour afterwards. We're going to start right around 11 o'clock. Give you guys some time to get your snackies and stuff. Talking about the early, the very first Christians It's such a cool thing. What was it like to be one of the very first Christians after Jesus' death and resurrection? You know, one of the number one things levied against Christians, one of the reasons they were persecuted and killed, Rome, many people in Rome, many officials, claimed that Christians are atheists. That's a weird one, right? (laughs) Hang on. So it was pretty illegal to be an atheist. And if you were an atheist, they'd have killed you. That's how important it was to believe in gods. But here is the thing. Christians didn't have a a god. They they didn't have a carved figure. This is what our god looks like. They didn't didn't put a, a thing of stone or wood on the altar and be like, this is our god. And we pray to him. Everything else had a thing. And, and Christians said, our God is real, 
and he, is, he was here walking amongst us in Christ Jesus. He was crucified, died, rose, and ascended into heaven. He is real. You, you can't see him you, you, because that's where he is. He's in heaven. <laughs> and, and people say, well, then you have no God. But what quickly became the gospel hook for the end times was people saying, well, God is evidence all around you. He's evidence whenever Christians go to serve. You're watching God help and serve others. You're watching God in action. And then, and then we say that that which is not seen on the last day, boy, you'll see him. Every single one of us, Christian and non-Christians, We'll see God on the last day. And for us, it is great joy. There's, there's nothing to fear because when, you're, when the, the clock is winding down, time is almost out, when, when at the end of the Super Bowl, which let's all be honest, that was a terrible ending in the Super Bowl. I know it was the right thing to do. Terrible ending. Punch it in, get the touchdown, move on. Anyways, as, as the clock is winding down, half of the field is watching that clock wind down in, in sorrow, pain, and suffering, but not the other half. When you are on the victorious team and you're seeing that clock wind down, you don't have anxiety, you don't have sorrow, you don't have fear. All you have is this great hope. So when these, these tragedies happen, there should be a piece of you, a piece of your heart that says, Lord, come quickly. This is signs and evidence that the world is suffering from sin, which is what you said would be happening before you return. When those things happen to us, we should be hitting our knees and saying, Lord, thank you that you preserved me, that it wasn't worse, even if it's the worst thing that could have ever happened to you. Are you still breathing? Are you still alive? Then God preserved you. I can tell this story because I was, I was right there when it happened. And, I, and many of us remember our dear departed brother, Dave Zabel. So on his second heart attack, or was it his third? I can't remember. The, I think it was the second one, which absolutely should have killed him. The first one should have killed him. It was called the Widowmaker for a reason. And then 20, 30 years later, he had the second one, and I'm right there next to his bedside, and I had prayed with him. We had talked. We had laughed a little bit. The doctor came in, and the doctor's telling him just like real clinical stuff, right? Just blah, 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 blah. And Dave says, this is my pastor. The guy looks at me. He looks at Dave, and he goes, God has a reason for you to be here because that should have killed you. And Dave would tell that story. He told that story. Remember that time when we were sitting there? He said that to me 200 times, <laughs> Right? I'm sure a bunch of you heard that story, probably from Dave Zabel, and he had always just marveled at that, and he had this, this perfect Christian response, which was, it could have been worse, I could have died. And why would it be worse if he would have died? Because you might be thinking, Dave Zabel, this, this sainted, beloved man, this, this man of God who loved Jesus so much, wouldn't he want to be taken to his heavenly home? He said, thanks be to God, he preserved me so I can do more in his kingdom. 
There's something else for me to do. It could have been worse. And right to the end, you guys all remember, many of you visited him when he was sick towards the the final days. You sat there, and I know you were blessed beyond what you can even describe. As you sat next to him and you talked to him in his final days, you haven't told me, I know it. He blessed you in those final days. God had more for him to do. And then he died. And you know what? God still preserved him. Still wasn't the worst thing that could have happened to him because he died in faith. And he met Jesus face to face. And he's looking around at angels and archangels. So when, when you're feeling the consequences of sin around you, think of Dave Zabel. Th- think of those who have departed in faith. Think of those who have suffered catastrophe, whose hearts have, have, have blown up two to three times, and they, they remain, and they, all they want to do is say, thanks be to God that he's given me an opportunity to continue to suffer under the consequences of sin that I might be useful in his kingdom, that I might serve him in some way, that I might share the gospel that I might tell somebody about the love of Christ, that I might suffer a little bit more with, with the consequences of my actions or my decisions or my life, that I might suffer a little bit more in this broken and terrible world, that I might just bear up under this some more, and it's horrible, but what if, what if I get to tell one more person how much God loves them? What if I get to share one more moment with somebody who comes to my bedside and, and says to me, Luke, well done, good and faithful servant. Just, just close your eyes and go. I'm going to say, not till I tell you one more time about my friend Jesus. Take every single moment that you have. It is a gift from God to work in his kingdom. And that's all it is. Trust in, is forget who you are, what you've done, your sin, your brokenness, consequences. Forget you know, all of that garbage and just, just tell people how much Jesus loves you and therefore loves the other person just as much. Salvation <clears throat> is ours because Jesus on the cross says, it's finished. Amen. May the peace which surpasses human understanding guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. As the kids come on in, um, we're going to remain seated for our prayer. Would you bow your heads and pray with me? Heavenly Father, I thank you for um, the gift of the saints who go before us. Um, I thank you, Lord, for Dave Zabel, for the testimony and witness he was to me Um, for every year that I have been here at Living Faith, for his friendship, for his mentorship, um, for all of those things, I give you thanks. And I pray, Heavenly Father, that you would remind each and every one of us of the rescue, of the way of salvation, of the opportunity to be saved because of your son, Jesus. I thank you, Lord, that your wrath has boundaries, and I thank you, Lord, that your love knows none. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.